Welcome to the Cozy Cozy Podcast. We're here to create comfort along the entrepreneurial journey and really the life journey. Join us for inspiring, dynamic conversations that make the arduous process of venturing out into the unknown feel more doable because we believe in making the impossible possible. We hope you'll join us as we play in the infinite. So pull up a seat, grab a blanket, let's get cozy. Welcome back to the Cozy Cozy Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Wood, and excited to share yet another kismet connection with you guys. I see so much of myself in this guest and so much of what I aspire to be in this lifetime. So I'm excited to share with you Fiona Murden. And before I get into who she is and all of her bio, I would love to give a little personal update as I always do. I'll weave in how I was connected to Fiona and then we'll dive into her and the episode. So where are we in space and time? I am recording this uh, intro about four days before you're hearing it and I am really... um, perplexed. (laughs) I have been called to drop into pigeon pose since Saturday. Actually, Friday. Sorry. I went to lift on Friday and my glutes just felt so tight. Um, Actually, they they didn't even feel tight. My back was so tight that I figured my glutes must be tight. So instead of lifting weights or running, I decided to sit in pigeon pose and just kind of go through some deeper glute release stretches on Friday. And then on Saturday, I did more stretching and um, a little bit of lifting and more stretching. And Sunday, I did a little jog and more stretching and pigeon pose. And Monday, pigeon was all I could muster the energy for. Tuesday, all I could do is pigeon pose. And with where I am in my cycle, I should be like lifting the heaviest weights and like doing all of the things, but I just needed to surrender into this pigeon pose. And it's interesting because the lower vibrations that we can store in our glutes and our hips are like anger, frustration, grief, sadness. I mean, they're like kind of the yuckier of the the emotions one could feel. And it's just, I had been catching myself though last week saying, oh, I'm frustrated, I'm frustrated, and almost like a weird habit. And so what I've decided is that I'm ready to release these emotions that aren't even relevant to the present moment and with release comes grief I feel like I'm literally shedding my old nervous system because technically there is no tiger in the room that I need to be fighting or fleeing from and my old conditioning around stress is was coming up so that I could release it I am convinced that I am entering a new paradigm where I get to have the privilege of being a mom and a founder of a company and receiving success without being in chaos. And it's a lot to receive. It's a lot to deserve. It's a lot to trust that I'm worthy of. And I don't, it's, it's going to make it all easier, right? The stress, the chaos is not a fun way to operate. So, so I, had the best morning yet uh today's thursday of sitting in pigeon and uh releasing and then doing a yoga flow and then sitting in pigeon and doing a cold shower and um still feeling those lower aries 
vibrations of frustration and anger coming through because I have been dealing with a doctor that does not uh, believe in holistic medicine. And I had to speak with the hospital manager this morning. So that was really kind of still in that that energetic of frustration and anger. So I went back to pigeon pose. Um, and so to me, I I hope that sharing this one gives you guys a nudge to listen to your body and listen to what your body's really wanting from you, because it might just be laying in shavasana on the mat. You know, it might be doing a cold shower. It might be walking outside and laying down on the grass. I don't know. Um, or it might be doing a really heavy lift and understanding what your body's asking and not saying, well, I haven't lifted weights in so long. I haven't, because I've even had that voice creep up in my head. Like, oh, I should have, I should do cardio because I haven't really done any this week. Stories like that that are old and not serving. So I'm sitting here in the essence of release, in the permission to release, in the embodiment of having sat in pigeon pose for so many minutes in the last week. And I hope that that inspires you to tune in. Um, what else? We are sending out our, we sent out our newsletter um, the last day or so, um, either this morning or yesterday morning. So if you got it, I hope you loved my little note. This was a very basic, cozy, cozy newsletter that was just a personal editorial one. Um, we're kind of working on a more robust, cozy, cozy newsletter for May um, and so many fun things to come. We're actually going to do a private shopping experience on a password protected website for the months of June and July before our proper full blown launch in August. And that August date may change, but we will have uh, our nip glosses live to sell. So you have to be on our list to get the password to shop. So kind of like a fun, exclusive um, shopping experience. You can subscribe to the newsletter um, in the show notes. So I hope you guys will check that out. And yeah, we're, we're waiting on our very first prototypes from the manufacturer in India of our uh, what we call nipple diapers. <laughs> nipple diapers are the world's first absorbent, disposable, biodegradable bra for comfort when you first come home from the hospital and you are totally engorged and not able to fit into your regular bra. This will keep you from uh, having to buy a bra that's three sizes bigger only to regulate your supply and not need that giant bra later. And also to keep you from buying a bra that you're going to leak into and have to wash every day because we all know that newborns come with laundry and you're already going to be doing a lot of laundry. So we're excited for that prototype to come and we'll be selling that with our nip gloss hopefully by August. But again, stay tuned for the private shopping experience that will come in June. So very excited to be with you guys today in conversation with Fiona. I knew last fall that if I were to continue on with the scary plight of creating a new venture, I would need funding. I could not self-fund this and I took a course that I found through, I was looking for entrepreneurial meetups in Boston and somehow, some way, I have no idea how, this woman who was hosting, and it was called the Alternative Funding School, had posted something on LinkedIn about launching her six weeks, alter, or eight week, I forget how many weeks, uh, Alternative Funding School in like two weeks from when I found the post. I was like, oh my God. And the price was reasonable. It was, I don't know, under $700. And I was like, I'm doing this. I want to know all the types of funding out there besides VC and understand what I don't know about VC anyway. 
So I did the course and Fiona was in the course. So I decided, uh, or she actually reached out to me um, afterwards and I was a guest on her podcast and then we decided to make a trade because I really wanted to get to know her more and she is so cool. She's a founder at Oka and Aroka, um, an organizational psychologist, an author, and a podcast host. She is super inspiring to me. She's written two books, which after having written one, I'm like, whoa, to have the capacity to write two in one lifetime, like, whoa. She is, she is a powerful woman. So she's a psychologist, as I mentioned, an author, podcast host, and passionate idealist committed to helping people use psychology to live a more successful and fulfilled life. Fiona believes that everyone should have the opportunity to fulfill their potential, to feel like they matter, and to exist somewhere that they belong. She has been lucky to work with all sorts of brilliant people from business leaders, entrepreneurs, and surgeons to young people, teachers, and charities. But most importantly, she's a mom to two beautiful girls, and she has a wonderful husband and an amazing collection of friends across the world. She says she might be a psychologist, but that doesn't mean she has it all sorted. She's still learning. She loves snowboarding, being in the mountains back country, and hurtling down steep slopes. She worked, used to work in a surf shop on the beach in Australia, heading out to the waves every day, and now her surfboard is gathering dust in the garage. I love the realness of that. And she is now working on a new platform to support people in finding mentorship and finding uh, resources to really fulfill their potential in this lifetime. So what I love about this interview is, number one, the realness in what it has truly taken um, from her as a mom, as a wife, as an organizational psychologist to pull off two books. And also like this whole concept of breaking the rules because I'm a Enneagram 7, so I like to break rules. I don't like rules in general. Um, I like freedom, and it sounds like she's very aligned with that as well, but we talk about you know whether or not breaking rules helps us fulfill our potential, helps us have success, and how we can think outside the lines in order to be entrepreneurs, to create and manifest what we want in this life. So um, so much is here, especially around motherhood and building businesses in motherhood and different sacrifices in corporate life that we have to make. And I know that this episode was destined to be created. So huge thank you to Fiona. You can find the various, at the very end of this podcast, she references so many great books that I know you guys will want to check out. I'm definitely, or I've already ordered at least one of them. Um, can't remember what I put in my Amazon cart, but there are books referenced and those will be in the show notes so that you can check those out as well, especially if you listen all the way through and you hear why she's recommending those books. Uh, and you can find her website, which has her books on the website. And um, yeah, all the ways to get in touch with her. So thank you so much for being here. Please share this with a friend if it resonates. Um, look forward to a solo cast from me next week. And um, yeah, more exciting, cozy, cozy updates if you get on our newsletter. So I appreciate you all for being here. So much love to everyone listening wherever you are in your journey. Um, I know that we're all co-creating this in real time. So if this episode speaks to you, 
or any episode ever does, please know, as always, you can DM me, you can share, because so much of what I create here comes from your suggestions and your interests and feedback. So thank you so much for listening, and without further ado, I introduce Fiona Murden. All right, Fiona, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so glad we could do this. It's been a long time coming and uh, grateful that we've been connected in such a unique way. Um, To get started, I'm going to ask you the question I'm asking all of my guests this season, which is, who are you as Fiona before any labels, any titles, or uh, anything that maybe your LinkedIn would show? I like that. That's really nice. So I'm a mom, uh, a wife. a snowboarder, a pianist, a photographer. Um, I'm mischievous. I enjoy fun. And I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to my area of specialism. Love that. I also love snowboarding. So that's cool that we connect on that. Uh, How did mischievous lead you or your mischievous side lead you into organizational psychology? So that's a really good question. I'm not sure if it led me there. I guess one thing that comes with that is curiosity and wanting to see different things and different views of the world. And it's quite a niche sort of market. It's quite in terms of jobs, it's very niche. And so it takes a little bit of exploration to find it. So you could arguably say that was part of it. And then I think part of it is just me and the way I do things. I probably break the rules quite a lot and I have done along the way. So there's there was an expectation for when we used to do profiling, everyone had to have exceptional uh, verbal numerical reasoning, abstract reasoning to get into senior roles. And I would often be the one going, no, but actually I think this person has what it takes. They don't Need, it doesn't matter if they haven't done well on their verbal numerical reasoning. And it might sound like a small thing, but within that environment, it was quite a big thing because I was saying, no, I, I don't agree with that. We're not doing it that way. Um, and I, when I went into organisational psychology and I was trained by a lot of ex-clinical psychologists and there was a certain expectation over how you carried out profiles. And again, there I would say my mischievousness meant that I broke the rules. Um mm-hmm doing it far more on a um an even transparent keel an even keel and being very transparent with the other person because I felt that if you could be genuine and authentic and allow them a trust really trusting space in which to operate they would open up more um but you then don't weaponize that you don't use it against them and say oh you've told me that you're not going to be very good in this role but you actually use it in a way that helps and enables them and says actually this may not be the right role for you because it would stifle x y and z of your personality have you thought about doing this so it Mm -hmm. becomes a two-way conversation so it doesn't directly answer your question but maybe adds a bit of flavor to it totally I want to talk about human potential I want to talk about it as it um pertains to motherhood, but I'm also interested in your background in organizational psychology. But before we get into all of it, do you know your Enneagram type? I don't know. Okay. I'm curious if you'd be a seven because sevens are all about freedom and um, 
<laughs> they don't like any boundaries or rules. And so I'm just, anyway, I'm curious about that. But do you think that speaking of breaking rules, that breaking rules helps us unlock our human potential? Do you think those two are connected at all? I think it depends how you break them because if you're breaking them in a way that's harmful to others, um, I yeah. think it, it actually it might enable you to do more things in the short term, but it won't enable you to fulfill potential in the self-actualized way. Um, I think some rules are very important and they need to be there to help us shape the way we behave as society. But I do think that if you don't break the rules, it can be difficult to see through and, and to, if you're looking at it from the other side, so if you're looking back at people, so say children, if you look at the school system in the US and the UK and in other countries where people will be listening, it can be quite restrictive and it, quite prescriptive in terms of what it looks for, in terms of what someone has to achieve in order to be a success in life. That's mm. somewhere I think it's critical to be able to break the rules and say, no, do you know what? It doesn't matter that you haven't got an A in this these three subjects. The fact is you're brilliant at this and you should pursue it and you should follow your passions. And so in that sense, I think it's important to encourage and to help and to nurture a way of looking at the world, which goes above and beyond the restrictions that can be placed through rules. Mm, thank you for that. It's so, I love how you just shared that because when I think about organizational psychology, I just think about big organizations. I think about a lot of red tape. I think a lot, I think about a lot of hierarchy and a lot of the components of corporate life that, to be honest, I just was never interested in. I worked in a corporate experience that wasn't even that corporate because I got to work remotely for like a year. And otherwise, I've sort of been a rogue entrepreneur. And what's interesting to me about you is that you have this vast background in organizational psychology, but you've also done very entrepreneurial things, which would involve not following the status quo. And I also think as far as human potential goes, it's really easy for the mind to say something like, oh, I couldn't start a business because I don't have a business master's or um, I didn't go to an Ivy League school or you know whatever. So I love that. But I'm curious, did you initially set off to get into organizational psychology? Yeah. Talk to us about how you wound up there. So I want to do psychology um at school um and my, one of my physics my physics teacher said to me Fiona you shouldn't do psychology you should do medicine and psychiatry so I was sort of already being pushed into the rules so I started down the route of of in the UK we do A levels so 16 to 18 we choose subjects and if you're going to do medicine you need to choose the right subjects then and then I just saw my stepsister who was a junior doctor and I just thought it's not I don't want it enough um, I love psychology. So I went to uni, um, did psychology degree, but realized that I didn't, and, I, and with the aim of doing clinical psychology, and I thought, I don't think I could cope with doing clinical. I think I'm not emotionally robust enough myself to be in that environment and that space with people all the time. And I'm also um, 
like a lot of females, very um, empathic. And when you're empathic, you can be there. Are, I mean, I actually talk about this in my second book. There are two types of empathy. There's emotional empathy and cognitive empathy. And until you learn how to use empathy in the right way, you're going to feel it all. And that's hard. Um, so I stayed on. I did a business master's. And interestingly, when you say that point, I actually think that sometimes a business master's or an Ivy League or, a, you know, it, we call it um, red brick in, in the UK, education can be limiting in terms of it will get your foot in the door. It will get you potentially investment, but you won't see round corners in the same way because you've almost been trained to follow the rules. Yeah. So, and, and I've actually seen that in my career as an organizational psychologist where I've advised people not to put a Cambridge graduate in a senior role, rather to go with the other candidate who's not. And it's not going against that particular person because they went to Cambridge, but it can mean that there's a certain mindset and inflexibility in, in thinking. Not always, you know, you can have brilliant people in all walks of life. Um, but I then started in management consultancy. I actually started in financial services and I absolutely hated it. Mm. So I then found out there was a media and entertainment section to this consultancy. And I was like, hmm, that sounds more interesting. So then I went and worked there and I worked on the launch of PlayStation 2. Um, I worked with Disney, Buena Vista International Television. And I was enjoying it more, but I still found it was the people I was interested in. And I didn't really like corporate life. Hmm. And so I went back to university. At this point, I'd found out about organizational psychology did my master's um, and then in the UK we do, you could, if you're doing clinical, you do a, a doctorate of philosophy. If you're doing organizational, you do sort of in work training for three years to become chartered. So that's, that's the route I took and started off working with FTSE 100 CEOs and leadership teams. But <laughs> to your point about the corporate, actually, what I found I enjoyed more and more was more the mid-size and smaller organizations when I was advising because I felt like people had more uh, agency. So yeah. a CEO of a massive corporate doesn't actually have that much agency because they have to answer to so many different people, so many different rules, so many different governance structures. When you're working with a mid-size organization or smaller, when you're having a discussion with a CEO, they can act on that discussion. Um, you know, they might not want to act on what you suggest or what you say, but you have a discussion that you then see the next time you see them, things have happened. And I found that really yeah. exciting. Um, wow. And but, but I guess the thing that's bothered me all along is why is it that the extremes of our population have the best access to the best psychology? So mm. you have elite athletes you yep. have leaders you have people with educational difficulties you have criminals you have people who are clinically ill and then you have everyone left in the middle who kind of muddles their way along yeah. and, and that's what really bothered me more and more because I at that and the fact again back to your point was I believe personally everyone has potential I think that potential looks different for everyone and I don't believe that a lot of people ever are given the opportunity to explore 
possibly because of life circumstances or fulfill that potential Mm. and I think I'm massively passionate about enabling more people to have that opportunity do you think that's what motivated you to write your books Mm -hmm. it is and but it's funny because my first book I wrote and then a friend of mine she works with disadvantaged kids and she's a really good friend and she's really funny and she's Northern Irish. She's got a really strong accent and I'm not going to try and do her accent because I'll do it wrong. But she, but she basically said, Fiona, all due respect, none of those kids are going to read your book now or when they grow up and nor are their parents. And I was like, yeah, do you know what? That's actually a very good point. Um, so I wrote another book and then and then I was like, actually, that's why we've that's why we've gone down the route of the platform because I think technology is far more accessible to far greater number of people even though we have of course there are pockets of people that don't have access to technology um, and and those people may have access to books but the difference between technology and a book is that it's there all the time and when it comes to behavior you need something that's there all the time you can't have something that you dip into when you feel motivated yeah go away and do something with and then forget about there's such an interesting conversation around motivation agency and on this podcast we talk a lot about sovereignty which is feeling like you can actually do what you want to do because you believe in your like I always say it's what you want to do when you want to do it how you want to do it do it which is the ultimate sense of freedom and and not because you have to or because someone's telling you to but um and I like you know I want to talk about your books especially the one on mirroring but um there's an interesting conversation around what's actually getting people to want to change like do you think that if we all have potential that we have to have some form of motivation because one of the things that I can't help notice And I know Dr. John Demartini talks about um, our wounds become our wisdom, right? Our pain becomes, you know, what's driving us and and why we want to overcome. But when I look at successful people and I listen to podcasts all the time, they all have this, this pain from their childhood or this wound or their dad wasn't there or their mom was an alcoholic or whatever it was. It's this discomfort that it's not necessarily a fleeting sense of motivation because there's a race coming up and they want to get faster or there's a trip and they want to lose some weight for that. It's like this deep wound that's constantly there. Do you think we have to have that to be motivated? Or what do you think gets people to want to tap into their potential or to get them curious, to use that word, about looking into and and self-realizing that potential? It's a really good question. And I think it's, one of those ones that's really hard to answer because it depends on the person, on the circumstance. We, What we do see a lot with leaders um, and very successful people is there is a driver that is caused by a discomfort. It's a driver to prove themselves or it's a driver to do better or it's a driver to get beyond poverty. Um, but then there are also people that are driven by an intrinsic motivation, which is a more positive rather than a negative. Um, and 
that sort of intrinsic motivation, the desire to grow and achieve differently, I think then achievement is not necessarily about being the leader of an organization or setting up a successful business. Achievement can be about being with their kids and enjoying parenthood. It can be about savoring life. Um, And I think sometimes those people, the people that are happiest and most successful in terms of living life to the full are not necessarily the ones that we see because they don't have a need to be the leader of an organization. That's not what's going to give them what they need. But that also means they're not in the public eye in one shape or another. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to to look at that um, latter group because there's a lot of talk in social media and on podcasts and in our cultural zeitgeist about not only achievement, but the big word of like manifestation and what are you creating in your life and how are you taking your life to the next level? And, and yet what if the point is just to be happy where you are and, and what does that look like? And is that its own form of sovereignty and does sovereignty require agency? Is it an overcoming of feeling stuck because your kids are challenging you that day? Or is it the ability to just be present and and be able to access feelings of gratitude? Um, it's, it's so fascinating to me. Um, but I'm curious before I ask you some more questions about your books, who are you working with most closely at this point in your career? What ages, what groups and are you most focused on? Um, from 13 to 70. Okay. So everyone, yeah. <laughs> not children. So what, no, um, not small children. So um, in my professional life, I'm working with mainly surgeons, CEOs and academics. That's as an organizational psychologist, which I maintain because I like to keep a foot in what's going um, on in the world. But from perspective of the books and the programs and things that come out of that, I work with schools, I work with kids, I work with teachers, nurses, doctors, um, right through to people who are retired and speak to all sorts of different audiences from university audiences through to been to local shops and spoken at local shops. And so all sorts of different people, because I believe everyone benefits from being curious about themselves and other people. Um, And then from the perspective of the actual platform that we're building, we've got a team of people from 24 up to, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I think I'm probably the oldest. And and then we've got, you know, various ages in between. Um, And they're located in the UK, Amsterdam, Tunisia, Turkey, and the US. Wow. Got a lot going on. And um, to kind of connect to your book and then bring it back to the actual content of the book, it's not surprising because as, as having written a book myself, it's really hard and you have to be able to to kind of live life but also go down this for me it was sort of this journey uh this long journey 
while also doing life and, and you're kind of firing on multiple cylinders or having multiple tabs open in your brain. I mean, just thinking about the different chapters, different portions, different things you want to include, that's a lot of tabs. Plus you have life, plus you are a parent. So what was it like to start that first uh, book? How long did it take you? And then I also want to learn about how your journey of your first book to your second book looked. Um, yeah, it didn't take me as long as it perhaps should. Um, well, actually, no, it did. So I hated writing at school. Interesting. And I used have this thing where I if I hated something I would do it because it would help me overcome it I've kind of learned to soften a little bit in that with age but obviously not on this one so someone had asked me to write a chapter for a professional book and I wrote it and I thought that wasn't too bad maybe I could write a book maybe I could overcome this hatred for writing so I wrote a book got it edited by someone who writes for the times and then took it to well tried to take it to publishers I knew nothing. I didn't know you needed a publishing agent and that you couldn't go straight to publishers. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I got really frustrated. Um, long story short, I did end up talking to Penguin and Hachette and um, they both liked my writing style, but neither of them liked the book. They both said, well, we don't have anywhere for that. Because I naively thought you write a book and then you present it and they're like, oh, great, there's a book and they publish it. So um but Hachette, who owned the imprint that I have written for, they they said, we would like you to write a book. We like your writing style. Um, and I was writing a blog frequently then as well. And so I said, OK, um, I think they gave me maybe a seven month deadline. And then I reduced wow. it to a three, three or four month deadline because... I wanted to get it done. I was fed up at this point. I was like, look, oh. I've written one book. Yeah. I really just, I'm over this. And my my literary agent said to me, Fiona, that is, yeah, that's a pretty tough call writing it in mm. that much time. And I was like, nope, I want to do it. So I did. I snapped a ligament in my ankle. Um, pulled, I screwed up my ankle basically because I was trying to run every day to release all this, like, mm. um, ended up having to have my ankle operated on as a result so I didn't do myself any favors and um but I wrote that book um and then the thing was there I felt I was writing a book that someone else wanted me to write and I still hadn't written the book I wanted to write gotcha and that's why I wrote the second book but the second book is also very much with the aim of trying to explain to people how social learning takes place whether we mean it or not and so oh. we're learning from the people around us socially and emotionally all the time and if we don't take control of that it'll take us down unintended routes but if we mm -hmm. do we, there are massive opportunities and that goes from things like being highly successful to being a teacher in a classroom to being a child who is in an underprivileged setting who really needs someone yeah. there to, to believe in them and it doesn't have to be someone aspirational it doesn't have to be a giant of of industry they just need someone yeah the uh is the second book through the same publisher no it's a different one the second one's with bloomsbury so okay. that's um jk rowling's um publisher but obviously not the success or uh 
later demise of J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so interesting because I, I had the same process of like being pretty much done with a book and then wanting to take it to people. I couldn't get an agent and I ultimately self-published, but you hear about that downside of not having it be the story you want when you go with a publisher because they're looking at marketing. And um, a couple of years after I published, I had someone who had recently signed with a publisher share with me how she got her publishing deal. And it was like, how many Instagram followers do you have? How many TikTok followers do you have? Like, how are you going to prove that you're going to sell these copies and not owe against it? And so, you know, I always, I believe like hindsight's twenty twenty, but everything happens for a reason. But it's really interesting to hear about your journey because um, I love that you also still went ahead and wrote that book that you wanted to write too. And you got these two different experiences. Um, how did you, I'm assuming you were a parent when you wrote these books. Mm -hmm. How did you balance that? Because there's a lot of moms listening to this and that may have the desire to write a book or start the business or do something that's going to require so much love and attention, right? To create, what was that like for you? Um, well, give you one clue. My family have banned me from writing another book. So it obviously <laughs> wasn't that beneficial to my family. Um, I am, um, it was intense. I would drop my daughters at school and then come back go for a run before I injured myself and then write and I would have a window in the morning where I still was running my business the before the platform the, the business around coaching and advising and what have you and I would be no meetings no calls nothing for three or four hours in the morning I would just write and some days you know I would write stuff and I would be like this is just awful you know it was, it's such a strange process to go through, um, which you'll know because you've done it. Um, and then in the afternoon, I would do my other work. Um, and then in the evening, I would do mum and probably not do mum very well, as you can tell from the comments, or, or wife very well. <laughs> and the second one I actually got, so the first one I injured my ankle, the second one I also set myself a really stupidly tight deadline. And then I um, got tendonitis down in both arms. I had wow. tennis elbow um, and I was wearing braces on my elbow and my hands by the time I finished. Oh my gosh. So I wasn't really much fun to be around and I really, really wouldn't recommend it as a way of operating. I'm not, it's I'm definitely hard. not a good role model in that respect. <laughs> well, it's, um. I was just sitting with this yesterday because I was telling my spiritual teacher, I'm like, it's sort of like the John Mayer something, something's missing. Not that great, but I'm like, I just feel off and I don't feel um nothing's bad, good, right, wrong. I just feel I was describing, like, I don't know how the words for it. And she was like, Well, what if it's not a word? What if it's a realm? What if this is a realm that you are in because you're in creative consciousness for currently creating products? And right when she said that, I thought back to my book. And the difference was. I was single, living alone in a new city when I was writing. So the realm wasn't as um, juxtaposed against or contrasted against anything. Um, and when I was single and childless, you know, if I had an idea, I could write at three in the morning or I could write all day or go write in the park. Like there was a little bit more freedom. So I, I cannot imagine doing it with a family and a job that 
requires a lot of you. It's, it's heroic. Um, and it's also so important what you were talking about. Um, there was a, a TikTok. I'm going to forget the name of the book, but they were taught, or maybe it was something about holding your children dearly or something um, about how, what you were just saying that we learn off of culture. We learn through our environment and that kids are not, when they're at school, they're not always learning from their teachers. They're learning from these other peers that are emotionally un, you know, underdeveloped. They're their kids. How could they be emotionally adept? Um, and, and without, or in an underprivileged area, they're not seeing what they might need to see to become more curious or to tap into that. So I'm curious if there's anything, if it was just your, what you were seeing in your organizational psychology or what it was that, that made you want to help people solve this problem and help people see this to write this book on mere thinking. I mean, I've always been passionate about it. Like even when I was at school, I, I always felt it was unfair. I, I had a scientific and an artistic mind. It annoyed me that I used to get pushed towards science rather than art mm-hmm. because that was like, well, if you, you, if you do science, you should do science. But more than that, what I would get upset about is seeing other children who I could see could be brilliant at one thing or another, being overlooked by a teacher or being treated as if they weren't very bright and demoralized and then lacking self-esteem and mm-hmm. lacking belief that they could do anything. And it used to make me really cross. It was something that really upset me. And it's stayed with me always because I think for whatever reason since I've been a child I believe that everyone has potential and I believe that it's our environment that cripples that potential or enables it um and and I don't think it's fair because I do think that a lot of people have it's not just financial privilege that there is that but some people have access to the right people, um, not even in terms of networks, but in terms of what you're just describing, mm-hmm. the people that will allow them to take on a more, more curious viewpoint, to have an open mind, to be able to explore options, to take a few risks, but the right type of risks. But if, mm-hmm. if a child hasn't seen that, they it's very difficult to do it. Yeah. I, uh, I also saw some, I'm, I'm on TikTok a lot, but I saw, uh, it was 10 things that children need to feel fulfilled or, or reach their potential. And one of them was an adult that's not their parents taking interest in them because, um, there's, there's two things coming up for me. There's a school of thought that we need expanders, someone who shows you what's possible that, you want to do. So if you, if I see a mom who started a company when her kids were little, that's my expander versus a role model. Who's just someone who's embodying maybe some characteristics, but I don't necessarily see myself in them, but I see something admirable in the way that they carry themselves, which is more of the the role model type. And so they were saying that having someone, whether you want to deem it a role model or an expander, just someone take interest in you to really foster that curiosity and reflect back to you, your potential was was really um, important. And I'm I'm personally grateful that that person for me was my grandfather. And it sort of creates that or it brings up 
this idea of the village that we used to raise our children in. And now it's like, I'm like, it's my husband and I, and occasionally a babysitter and occasionally my sister-in-law down the street. And like, that's it. And it's very hard to create that. Now, on the other hand, something that I'm hearing a lot with people who have children who are older is the overscheduling and the village becomes three different sports teams, so-and-so's mom taking them on travel soccer tournament over here, the other kids going to gymnastics meets over here. How do you see that impacting kids? Because I see the isolation and the lack of village or not having someone take interest, but I also see potentially a detriment in kids that are 12 and they're like burnt out on their sports. Talk so, to us so about I, that. Yeah, I have, I mean, I'm not a pop, I was not a popular person when my eldest is 16, my youngest is 10. When my eldest was about eight, I started getting really quite wound up about the fact that other parents were getting so competitive that their child wasn't on the sports team. They weren't on the A team. They're on the B team. They should be in the A team. Why weren't they playing in this match? Why weren't they doing this? And they would be doing three, four, five different sports. They would be doing hours a week. And my daughter didn't. She kind of she did a bit tennis she did some running and sometimes she was in the a team sometimes she's in the b team sometimes she's in the c team she's now one of the fastest runners in the uk for 400 meters now that came but that came from her that did not come from us Mm -hmm. and it did not come from over scheduling and i look now and that it's easier to have wisdom when you you've been through it but i look now at uh, other people who have those children who were overscheduled and most of them aren't doing sport anymore yeah. and though I actually remember having and I probably wasn't very popular at the time but I remember having a conversation one night with a group of mums saying look your kids aren't going to be in the Olympics and actually do you even want them to be because yeah. it's not necessarily a happy way to live yeah. it's, and, Just... and so why why are you creating this expectation it's like mm-hmm. And I very much, I, so maybe it's just complete luck with Libby because she found her own passion and she's had her own struggles because she's got alopecia and she found a real home with her people that she runs with. And it's a group of girls and boys from all different schools, from all different backgrounds, and they are just lovely. And so we're lucky in that respect because she did find a village and it was one where she wanted to be, but it mm. wasn't one where we were forcing her to be or saying we need to do X, Y, and Z. Now, my youngest daughter doesn't really want to do anything. And that worries me on the other hand, because you think <laughs> you do need to do some things. And so I think, I mean, in fairness to parents, I think it's really hard because only thing a parent ever does is tries to do the best by their child. You know, unless it's a situ- one of the desperate situations where people are in really difficult circumstances and so then it becomes trying to make this juggle of decisions because I do think I think over scheduling is bad for kids because I don't think it gives them the space to reflect mm. to play to learn to to you know to do things like run around outside but if instead of that they're on their screen that's not very helpful either and so there's all these things you kind of have to navigate. It's like, yeah, it'd be great if they're not overscheduled, but they're playing in the garden but or the backyard. But, you know, is that actually going to be what happens? So it, yeah. it's all it's all it's so difficult to navigate. 
And I think, but I do think the, when it's children up to the age of about 12, there is too high an expectation on the fact that they are a brilliant pianist or they're a brilliant athlete or they're just let them be, let them try, let them have fun. It's mm. like the kids. And if, if they find something they're passionate about, they will do it. They will. Yeah. I remember being in the car and complaining, starting to complain about going to gymnastics because gymnastics, you know, they want you to do like 16 hours a week by the mm -hmm. time you're nine. And my mom would always say, you don't have to do this. I, you know, if you don't want to do this, you can be done. Like it's, it's all good with me. And then it really made me sit with this decision of, wow, I decide, which is a huge privilege that we could even afford, which was sometimes quite hard for my mom, but to afford gymnastics, but um, to sit with this decision of, do I really want to do this? And ultimately by 12, I decided that I didn't. Um, but that was a pretty empowering and it felt like a really hard decision, but it was one of the first hard decisions um, I remember making. And um, I'm wondering what comes up for you when you think about comfort versus discomfort. We've been asking people that question this season, um, mainly because of trying to get away from hustle culture and that movement in our society, but also because this podcast is called Cozy Cozy and we're creating comfortable products for women. But I'm curious how comfort versus discomfort pertains to tapping into potential um, and what you see with some of your high performers and how they're looking at comfort versus discomfort and even within yourself. Um, it's really interesting. So you may have heard of it, but there's a model called the um, comfort zone model by Luckner, which I actually put in my first book. And the central circle is comfort. The middle circle is stretch. And the final circle, if you use it in a, a sporting capacity would be injury zone mm. and so uh what I always say to people is you need to move out of your field of comfort you do need to move into your stretch zone but if you spend too much time in your stretch zone you may slip into your injury zone yeah you need to retreat back to your comfort zone and it's really hard to know which those things are and which what tolerance is so my tolerance is really high but then I end up physically injuring myself <laughs> yeah. because I do take it too far. And I don't have I don't have the capability sometimes of pulling myself back, which is not healthy. Mm. The other thing I think about and talk about with people is stress versus you stress. Mm. So stress being like traditional stress and you stress being E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. -S. And you stress is incredibly positive and incredibly powerful. And sometimes we mistake those two. So in ourselves, we can feel completely overwhelmed and we don't know, is this stress good? Is it me pushing beyond my comfort zone? Is it for growth yeah. or is this actually harmful to me? And sometimes mm -hmm. we need people on the outside to be able to help us navigate that because yeah. when you're within that yourself, you lose sight of what, what's harmful and what's positive. Yes, I could not relate to that more. Um, in the plight of entrepreneurship that I'm experiencing in real time, my husband said something to me the other day, like, you know, I wanted you to do this so that you're having fun. And I'm like, I am. And 
it's very stressful. I'm working with a budget. I'm bringing people on a team. We're trying to not fail when we launch. And when you look at this, like now that that's in motion, I'm I'm not just going to stop or quit or run away from it. I also have a child I'm not going to run away from. And once you have so many balls up in the air, it's really challenging to figure out the management of it. And I love the analogy of coming back into like whatever can feel more comforting because sometimes just the balls in the air are just whatever's on the playing field of your life is is stressful. Um, and, and it actually makes me wonder in your organizational psychology um, background and your experience, what what was it like at talking to any moms in the workplace? I feel really lucky that I've sort of created my own reality when it comes to work and I am not in a corporate environment. Um, and sometimes I wonder if that would be easier mentally. So I'm just curious if you've had to deal with talking to moms in the workplace around this topic of stress and comfort and discomfort. So, I mean, I think the landscape has dramatically changed over the last 20 years. Um, when I was a management consultant, I saw my boss who was amazing, um, struggling because she had a child, she'd been asked to make partner, making partner meant working six or seven days a week, you know, to, to actually reach partner. Um, and she wanted to be a mum. But the other option was she worked three days a week, she worked in in the main office, and she was doing much more administrative stuff. And I at that time thought, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do something that means that I can be a mum and I can be intellectually engaged. Mm-hmm. And partly where I started piecing together my career, which at the time was a bit more unusual. Now it's a lot more normal, which is great. And then there are different organisations, there are different individuals. So I coach very senior women. Um, I think probably, I was just seeing off the top of my head, that currently they're all parents, they're all mums. Wow. Um, and I know that there's been, um, so my my mentor sadly died last year from cancer and she was an amazing woman. She was chair of something called the 30% Club globally, which put more women on boards. Cool. And, um, but her predecessor without naming but it will be clear who she is but that's fine um very strongly sort of said look I think she had something like seven or eight kids and she had a really high flying job in finance and she more or less said you can do it all now I think that's incredibly harmful because she was in the sort of job where she could have a housekeeper Mm. a nanny a secretary for her personal life, a secretary, a PA for her work life. And it things that just did not translate even into roles that were as senior in um, government run organizations or things like that. I think it's, it's very much a working out the path that works for you, which is not easy because when you've got so much going on with like having a child that's just another thing to think about and worry about and navigate and it can feel very difficult to have the confidence to do that as well because I know that like I was still an organizational psychologist when I had a child but it knocked my confidence there's something about it which makes you uncertain you know where you sit in the world and 
not everyone, but a lot of people, I think, look around and think, well, what does this mean? What does this Mm -hmm. mean to my identity, who I am? Who am I now? And so I think there should be a lot more support for women and whether that's within the corporate environment or whether it's being um, entrepreneurial and setting up their own things. And I think the hustle is a negative connotation in many ways, although it's meant to be positive. Mm-hmm. because it puts a lot of pressure on women to say, hey, yeah, you can do that. Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing a side hustle? Why aren't you doing this? Some people find it really difficult to not have structure and to not have the rules of the game set out for them. Yeah. It takes a certain mindset to be able to go, I'm going to make this up for myself. <laughs> and so it leaves a lot of people feeling like they're not good enough again, which is something I have a massive problem with. Because Mm. I think, coming back to my point, I think everyone is good enough. Everyone has potential, but people need help in working out what that is, what that looks like, and how to fulfill it. Oh, my gosh. So powerful. It's. uh, I was even thinking when you said that there's a specific mindset for setting up your life, maybe in an entrepreneurial way, it's like, the same thing with motherhood too, right? There's no rules. You could have your baby cry it out or not. You could take your kid to daycare or not. Like there's so many avenues and it goes back to that full agency and sovereignty that you have to really harness to make those decisions. And just doing that is exhausting. Uh, And it's, you know, I've found that in the back, having my coaching business in the background of becoming a mom gave me something to cling on to as far as identity goes, which was great and confusing because I'm not just that anymore. I'm a mom and I'm building this whole new version of myself. Um, It's very daunting. So I just really appreciate you um, touching on that because this is a conversation that is coming up a lot for us on this podcast. And you have really walked down many avenues, it seems, whether that was your writing experience or corporate experience uh, and entrepreneurial experience while being a mom. So you're a great expander for everybody. Um, So thank you. Uh, And I'm really curious um, where you are looking to expand your potential now in your life. Um, What is, what is the new frontier for you? What is, where is your focus right now? as you think about your own potential? So it's the platform, it's getting the platform into more people's hands, creating a brand that actually represents what I believe. So it's not a dichotomy, it's not a hypocritical brand ever. And that's something I want to stand by for as long as it's under my ownership. I want to create a place where people feel empowered, like they have potential that they can explore in a safe space, that they can unlock parts of themselves they didn't know were possible. Um, And I want to create something that's far more accessible to far more people to be able to do that. Um, That means that I am going to have to do more public speaking, Mm. more uh, those sorts of things again which sometimes I feel really uncomfortable with um and I particularly feel quite vulnerable doing those things like we all do I think but um so I've got to get over myself in that respect Mm. um and I think the fact that I'm doing it for a bigger thing rather than me makes it much easier 
Um, but, but that's one thing that I need to expand on, as it were. Um, and also just thinking about the partnerships and the opportunities that we can really optimise to make this the best for people it could be. Wow. It's not a, not a light undertaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I won't notice myself getting older if I'm busy doing something. <laughs> Time is moving faster and faster, it seems. It's it's wild. Um, what is, aside from your books, which will be linked in the show notes, Defining You and Mirror Thinking, what is one of the best resources outside of those ones on, discuss, on finding or tapping into human potential or something that you really love or that, um, yeah, has, has inspired you over the years? So one book actually that I was thinking of when you were talking um, about comfort and we we're talking about negative and positive stress is, let me see if I can find it, it's Tara Moore. Um, uh, it's about, it's so, something like Think Big, but it's it's written for women, but I've told a few men to read it as well. Okay. Because she writes it really well. She talks about that difference between um positive and negative stress referring to the Jewish terms for those words and some of the history behind that um, which is really interesting um, there's a lovely book called Coming Alive by uh, Phil Stutz who's the psychiatrist who did that Netflix program with Yona Hill oh cool um, he's, he's really funny and really good and he just throws all the rules out the window and does it his way which I I really like it. The thing I would say is if the strategies don't work in there, don't take it as a something not working about you, but okay. try them. It's it's good. It's by Barry Michaels and Paul Stutz. There's, um, I think, other books. So, so oh, I mean, I have to name this one because I love this guy. Russ Harris. Um, okay. He's written a book that's sold over a million copies and he's been on my podcast actually it's called it, his book's called the happiness trap the main one he's written 14 Ooh. books oh, but he's, so, he, he's such a lovely humble guy when I said to him something about how many reviews he had on Amazon he went have I and he genuinely <laughs> seemed surprised <laughs> but he's done work with um the 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 UN with um he's had work published in the Lancet um He's done incredible things and he gives access to a strategy known as ACT, which you probably heard of or people listening have heard of CBT. ACT is acceptance and commitment therapy, and it incorporates a lot of elements around values, around mindfulness. But it's been shown from an evidence perspective to be more effective than CBT. Wow. And he makes it incredibly accessible. Cool. Um, so he's written a few books uh, that are um, kind of user friendly, I would say. The confidence gap, the reality slap, the happiness well, trap. Wow. A bit, fun with, bit of fun with that. But then a lot of his books are written for therapists working with people. Cool. But they're, they're, they're all fantastic um, books. I like Barbara Fredrickson's Positivity, actually. 
um, if people like a bit of a science background, but she writes it in a really lovely way. And it's not toxic positivity. It's talking about real positivity, like things like awe and the impact that that has on how we feel. And she's done a lot of research into to those different things. And then if people want a bit of a more like slightly di deeper dive, Transcend by Scott Barry Kaufman is um, is great. It, he's basically taking Maslow's hierarchy of needs oh. and taking it a step further from Maslow's diaries and the entries that he didn't he wrote, but he never had time to implement into his models. Wow, cool. Well, the listeners are gonna love this because they're always DMing me on Instagram about books. So thank you so much. I'm going to take a look at all of these myself. Um, and before we close out, if you could share where people can find you, it will all be in the show notes, but just so if they're driving, they can hear it. Okay. So it's just my name, Fiona, F-I-O-N-A, Murden, M-U-R-D-E-N. And that's on Twitter, Facebook. I don't really look at Facebook much. LinkedIn, <laughs> Instagram. And my website is also that. But to have access to the platform as and when it's ready, it's oka, O-K-A dot life. Oka dot life. Let me make sure I read that. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, for all of your wisdom. You are a wealth of knowledge and um, I'm feeling very inspired too. So I've, I've loved talking to you again. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course.